Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the finance minister says the Canadian economy can withstand the coronavirus. So our government is planning for every contingency. We stand ready to support Canadians and the economy as necessary in coordination with our provincial and territorial partners, as well as with our international colleagues. The Conservatives push for more information on the government's fiscal framework. Before the coronavirus and the blockades, the government had racked up $100 billion in brand new debt. That's all before the crisis struck. In other words, they squandered the good times and have left us weak and vulnerable going into the bad times. And the government gets ready to introduce legislation banning conversion therapy. A year ago, after a, a, an 18,000 name petition was put in front of the federal government saying, look, you need to ban this practice in every corner of the country. You need to come out of the national government and stop this. The government then took the, the same government, took the position that, that, you know, this is the purview of the provinces. We think it's abhorrent. We don't like the practice, but it's a provincial matter. Now here we are a year later, um, and the government's decided, no, we do have a role, and we are going to move this legislation to, to ban it across the country. It's Monday, March the 9th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us. Good to talk to you, Mark. Let's start with the government's response to the coronavirus, the latest on that, and an interview Bill Morneau, the finance minister, did on the weekend in which he said he doesn't think that it will have a significant impact on Canada's economy, that Canada's economy can withstand the coronavirus. What do you make of all of that? Yeah, I think he's, that was the message he was uh, you know, trying to convey, in, in not just in interviews, but in a speech he made uh, towards the end of the week in Toronto. You know, I think it's, you know, I mean, I, it's interesting when I hear him say, you know, the 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 economy can, can withstand it. I think what he's really saying is he believes the Liberal government's fiscal framework can withstand it. I mean, the economy, you know, depending on where this goes, the economy could take a very significant hit. And what I think he's really saying is you know, the government's fiscal framework is, the government's well positioned to sort of help out uh, with a lot of uh, spending and emergency programs if it needs to. So, you know, the economy is well positioned to the extent that the government is ready to, to bolster it if this virus gets uh, very serious and, and the economic shock grows to Canada. I think it's it's kind of an interesting balancing act as we watch this, you know, between preparing for the worst uh, and trying to convince Canadians the worst is still some ways off. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I think what's interesting to see is the two tracks here is you've, you've got, you know, the health side of the government apparatus saying, you know, we're ready if this thing gets worse. We've learned from SARS. We're in contact with the provinces. And then you've got the financial side with the finance minister saying, I'm just, I'm just standing by to see how bad things get and how much help I need to inject into all of this. Uh, but yeah, that's the message that don't worry, uh, we're ready here to help. And I guess it's a test of what the government has been doing since it took power almost four and a half years ago, and that is running deficits, larger deficits than they projected during the 2015 election campaign uh, with the message that it was okay to run these deficits. There, there are people who are saying if the economy is threatened that that, that will start to come crumbling down. And, and this is a kind of a unique threat to the economy because it could be af- affecting supply rather than demand, which 
could be a different kind of problem to have to solve. So there is a test in all of that as well, I think, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. You're going to hear a lot more this week. I think as, you know, we've got a budget coming up. We've got a first, you know, at the end of the month probably. Um, we've got a first minister's meeting coming up at the end of this week. And I, and we know the Conservatives have a motion before the House today that's going to talk about uh, preparation and possible hits to the fiscal framework. They've, they've got a motion that... It's, going to, it's calling on the government, it'll be debated in the House today, it calls on the government to produce any documents from, from the fall of 2015, Mark, uh, from its own experts suggesting what possible shocks there could be to their fiscal framework, which, as we know, for the last five years has been sort of hinged on this whole notion that what really matters is debt-to-GDP ratio, and that's either stable or going down. It might go back up a little bit, but it'll eventually, it's on a downward track overall, and that's really what speaks to the health of, of your fiscal framework. But what we're going to hear this week is we're going to hear uh, you know, different versions of just how solid the underpinnings are. Uh, you know, you're going to hear the Conservatives debate this motion in the House and push the House to try and pass it. We're seeing lots of downward growth predictions, even before blockades and coronavirus. We've got a lot of economists saying, look, this economy is not very healthy and the government better be prepared for this. There's been no big bump from new trade deals. There's flat business investment. And, uh, you know, and, and so they're, they're saying we're, we weren't in great shape before coronavirus. So if the government has to shell out a whole lot of money to support workers and communities and uh, industries that might be hard hit by a wider coronavirus outbreak. Just, you know, just how healthy are the finances? And that's the case that some people are going to try and make. You're going to see a pivot on that political uh, conversation, I think, this week, led by conservatives who have to be very careful to criticize the government about possible spending to help with the coronavirus outbreak. What they're going to try and do is make the case that, uh, you know, if you'd been more careful with your finances in the last five years, uh, there wouldn't be any problem dealing with a coronavirus outbreak, but there might be a problem dealing with it in the context of an economy that's all already uh, seeing a, a bit of a slump and uh, could be in for worse shocks ahead. Now, speaking of the Conservatives, I know you're going to have Aaron O'Toole on your show tonight, Conservative leadership candidate. Uh, the battle lines have been drawn to an extent in this Conservative leadership race, and uh, the positions are being staked out. I think a lot of people have questions around whether Aaron O'Toole can catch Peter McKay, how he would go about doing that, and also why he's staked out a particular space in the political spectrum uh, going after traditional conservatives, uh, the kind of the right wing of the uh, what many people describe as the Conservative Party base, and whether or not that's something that would allow the Conservatives to win an election, even if Aaron O'Toole won the leadership. Yeah, I think that's how the... Um as we get closer and closer to, uh, you know, the vote for, for a new Conservative Party leader, I think that's where the focus is going to be. You're going to see the conversation change from who's trying to win the party to who's trying to win the country. And we're, we're on our way there. I think it's been really interesting to watch what I think is a bit of a conversion for Aaron O'Toole, who's gone from somebody, who, if you recall the last leadership race, he was to the left of Andrew Scheer, the left of Maxime Bernier. And he, he's now clearly, uh, he's, he's not... Uh, to the right as much as uh, a couple of other candidates in the, in the, in this uh, year's leadership race but he certainly seems to be further along, along the right spectrum spectrum than he was in the, in the in the last leadership race and i think it's he's got this endorsement now from Jason Kenney and he's really going after the base and he's talking about some pretty you know uh pretty interesting policy ideas and and, and sort of hard
hard right policy ideas on, on the political spe- spectrum, and he's uh, defending those. He's, he's you know talking about a law that would uh, would ban all blockades to critical you know, critical infrastructure, which for many people is already the case. It's already illegal, but uh, this would make it even clearer, I guess, a specific law. He's talking about using the notwithstanding clause to uh, to overturn court rulings that go against the notion of mandatory minimum sentences for serious crimes. So he's really appealing to the to the party base. And I think the strategy is that you know you have to win the party base uh, to win the conservative party leadership. I mean, I think, I think Andrew Scheer proved that the last time. That's what eventually put him over the top. But there's, he's still going to face these questions about the wider uh, prize at the end of the day. What is it? Do you just want to be the leader of the Conservative Party or do you want to win the country? And to do that, he's going to face again and again these questions about where do you go get that 10% of Canadians who have voted Conservative in the past, who are on you know the sort of middle uh, middle left of the spectrum in a lot of those urban centers, they're the people you have to go win over to your ideas. And can you do it by talking about overruling judges with the notwithstanding clause and uh, allowing members of your party uh, the freedom to bring forward, uh, you know, motions around reopening abortion or motions around, uh, you know, um, uh, LGBTQ rights issues and so on. Uh, you know, he's he's claiming to open this up to the biggest possible tent, and suggesting Peter McKay won't. Suggesting Peter McKay is is a is a lefty conservative or leaning left conservative, and that that's not what the party needs. So hmm. it's going to be interesting in the next couple of weeks to watch how how hard. Uh, these two men go at each other over these kinds of issues about who's best to represent the party. Yeah. All right. Finally, Peter, uh, the federal government today is introducing legislation that would ban uh, conversion therapy across the country. Uh, and uh, and I think this bill is going to pass. I don't think there's uh, there, that would be a big surprise. But what are some of the dynamics around this decision by the government? It's interesting. I mean, this is this has been for the last number of years now. This has, you know, come uh, come to the attention of Canadians. Uh, at, you know, this this practice of counseling or spiritual counseling uh, of people trying to change their sexuality. You know, and there's been a, a serious pushback against it from all kinds of quarters, uh, from you know. Uh, uh, psychology organizations to political groups to activist groups to uh, governments in different provinces have, have stopped this practice and, and uh, you know barred it or banned it. Uh, but it was interesting a year ago after a, a, an 18,000 name petition was put in front of the federal government saying, "Look, you need to you know you need to ban this practice in every corner of the country. You need to come out as a national government and stop this." Uh, the government then took the, the same government took the position that, that you know this is the purview of the provinces. We think uh, it's abhorrent. We don't like the practice, but it's a provincial matter. Uh, now here we are a year later, um, and the government's decided no, we do have a role, and we are going to move this legislation to to ban it across the country. Amendments to the criminal code uh, to make sure this doesn't happen. And so I think we've we've seen a conversion, and part of it might be marked that this is this is one of those agenda items that the Liberals promised in the last election that they can actually get done. It's one of those uh, you know. Uh, sort of ready policies that they can probably find support so far. None of the opposition parties are, are speaking out against it, although they want to see the details and what it does in terms of provincial jurisdiction. But, you know, in in a, 
in a period of time here since the election where the government hasn't been able to control the agenda. Uh, they've been knocked off their, their agenda by all kinds of outside influences and or internal ones, you know, blockades, and now the dealing with coronavirus. They're, you know, we expect to see a climate change plan of some kind in the budget, but now that budget's going to be uh, sort of a split focus that also includes how to deal with the, the shocks to the economy. This is one of those programs that they can reach one constituency that they've promised to, to speak for and actually try to get this through and say, look, here's, here's one of the things we can do and we can get this done, so let's do it. Let's put something in the window now that, that shows that we're living up to, to some of our promises right. and we've got some control over the agenda. All right. It's going to be an interesting week on Parliament Hill and beyond. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Mark. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Over the last several days, we've seen an increase of cases in Canada and the outbreak of COVID-19, as the coronavirus is formally named, is evolving rapidly across the world. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Wyatt argues the spread of COVID-19 has revealed an epidemic of mistrust. Wyatt writes, COVID-19 has revealed a large problem, the epidemic of mistrust Canadians have in their public institutions. Over the past 30 years, there has been an observable decline in our collective confidence in institutions like government, big business, news media, and democracy at large. This trend is not unique to Canada, but rather a problem throughout the developed world. In times like these, the rot of skepticism and mistrust can prove fatal. In the Globe and Mail, Deborah So argues, blaming sexism for Elizabeth Warren's loss is a disservice to women. So writes, I don't deny that misogyny exists or that women experience discrimination in ways that men do not. But blaming Warren's loss on gender politics does a disservice to women. It breeds a sense of helplessness and self-righteous pity instead of telling the next generation to take responsibility and learn from their failures. It isn't empowering to scream sexism every time life doesn't go according to plan. And in the end, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. This afternoon, MPs will vote on an opposition motion creating more opposition days in the House of Commons. As CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, it's all about the Trudeau government getting used to a new dynamic in this minority parliament. Mark, this afternoon all of the opposition parties are expected to vote for a Conservative opposition motion that was debated on the last week that Parliament was sitting. The motion would create three more supply days or opposition days. Those are days dominated by an opposition motion or bill uh, and those days would go one each to the Conservatives, the Bloc Québécois and the NDP. And those new days would be added to the agenda between now and April and they would not be allowed on a Friday. This is all part of a growing anger among the opposition parties who accuse the Trudeau government of not recognizing that it's operating in a minority context. The catalyst which set everything off for the motion was two weeks ago when the governing Liberals, who control the parliamentary calendar, uh, did something that had never been done before. They allocated an opposition day to the Conservatives, but on a Friday, when Parliament only sits for half a day. So, Mark, with this motion expected to pass tonight, expect more days with the opposition putting the government's feet to the fire, with motions like the one that they're debating today, which is calling on the government to produce any and all studies it may have been given on the economic impacts of emergencies, such as the health emergency, like the coronavirus, and the recent rail blockades that we've been facing. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will start the day in Toronto. 
and an armchair discussion with representatives of SHEEO Ventures. Minister of Small Business Mary Ng will also attend. Later in Ottawa, the Prime Minister will take part in an after-school STEM workshop for girls hosted by Actua. And Justice Minister David Lametti and Diversity Minister Bartis Chagger will make an announcement in Ottawa about the bill to ban conversion therapy. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March the 9th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.